0: A couple weeks ago, for the first time, the Minister of Information in Iran admitted that Christianity was growing astronomically in Iran. Like, how awesome is that? Right? Why is that significant? Because you think about it, they keep thinking that it's a battle of the flesh. If we scare people, if we prevent people from distributing the gospel and meeting, we'll solve the problem. They don't understand it. it's, a battle the, it's a battle of the spirit. And the spirit is moving. And the spirit is absolutely moving in Iran, which is what's such a cool, cool thing because they've never admitted it. They finally admitted, yes, this is a problem right now for them. So it's cool. It's a good problem, right? Absolutely a good problem. I told Ezra, speaking of problems, I was like, man, what, what can we do to get people to get baptized? How do we do this, man? And so I was like, my suggestion was we bring the baptismal up here, we fill it up, we take a black uh, tablecloth and put it over and we invite people to come up and just have a seat and as soon as they drop in, man, we baptize them right there, right? But we could, grab, we could, we could knock out like three or four people at a shot, right? And just put them in there, right? That's, it sounds funny, but that's like deceptive, Right? It's deceptive. And that's what we're going to be looking at today: deception, deception. Because that's what Peter is talking about. So I was in Florida a few months ago, and uh, I was there for a workshop I was attending, which was a ministry-related workshop. And um, so I was there, and I was taking a lift every, you know, each day back and forth. And so I'm there. I get in the uh, the car with my lift driver. And, uh, you know, we just got some small conversation The drives about a 15-minute drive. And so um, we were talking and somehow the conversation turned to, like, how did you become a Lyft driver? How did you get into this? And she was telling me, you know, she's come from New York and she's come down there. She actually said that uh, a couple months ago she was actually held up at gunpoint. Somebody carjacked her. Which was always like my biggest fear of being a Lyft driver, like an Uber driver, right? You don't know who's getting the car. And so I was asking her about that. And she was like, yeah. Ended up being like two teenage boys that they did that. And they ended up finding her car at one of the boys' mom's house. (laughs) Right? They don't say criminals are smart, right? And so they found the car. And so I guess they had gone to court and they had talked to her. And the mother was like, begging her to be lenient to show mercy on her sons and they didn't know any better and she was like I'm not showing mercy and so we were just talking and she said you know what are you down here and I said well I'm here for a, a conference it's a, a workshop in ministry and she said oh she said um yeah I don't I don't believe in God and so it was like 7:15. I'm like do I really want to go here right now I'm like all right, God, I'm going to be obedient. The door has been open, right? And so she said, "You want, I, I believe that we're all made, you know, that we're made in God's image, but I believe that um, we are all our own gods. And so right now my mind is going in like 35 different directions, I could say. And I said to her, I said, you know what's interesting about that? I said, here's what little gods do. They get into somebody's car with a gun and tell them, I want your car. I said, that's what little gods do. And she was like, yeah. And we ended up having a really good conversation from there. And I was able to just lay out the gospel for her. I have no idea, you know, where she is now. But I continue to pray for her this day. But what it did, it just opens up your eyes. to The things that people believe. That they'll take something that we say, you're made in the image of God. And the interpretation was, therefore, I am a God. That's what she was saying. That's what she was saying. And so the question is, how do we remedy false teaching? How do we remedy false teaching? How do we recognize heretics? What does it look like? You know, one of the things that we hear today from a lot of people who would profess to be Christians is what? There are many paths to God. Christ is just one of those paths. Or we hear that Jesus is not divine. Right? He's a son of God. He's God's son, but he's not divine. Uh, Jesus was married and had children. We see that. And we we also hear, you know, it's offensive to, to claim that what you believe is the only way to God. And so here are some of the things that we even hear within Christian circles too. And so what we're seeing here is you're seeing heresy and you're seeing a false teaching even amongst people who would profess to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. And so what Peter has been trying to do Speaking of sounding the alarm, he's trying to sound the alarm as I tell you how important it is to learn and to cling to the proper knowledge of God in who he has revealed himself to be. And it's important to do that. And so what we're going to look at today is to see how Peter tells us how do we respond when we come across this kind of heresy, when we come across false teaching. False teachers. When they begin to speak, and I'm using somebody else's words, sweet words to us, we hear it. And what it does, it begins to break the unity and we lose faith in the person of Jesus who is central to our faith. That's the way it works. How do I discredit the main reason that I'm here and I believe and am following Christianity? It's because of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. So I call this sermon... I don't call it anything, really. Actually, the big idea is to watch out for false teachers. Watch out for false teachers. And we're going to look at that today, specifically how God takes his word extremely serious. He is serious about his word and what it says. Why? Because it's a matter of life and death. It absolutely is a matter of life and death. And so we are going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Let's pray real quick. Father, may God show us, help us to hear and to understand your word and also to apply it. Help us to live it out, God, and help us to to identify when we are seeing somebody in our lives telling us something that's not true, Father. And we just lift this up in prayer to you, Lord. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. And so, the last couple of weeks, Ezra started us off in this sermon series, and we looked at chapter one. And what, what, if you had to sort of summarize one of the things he was saying, is Peter was saying this look, I was literally with him, I saw Jesus. So, the things I'm telling you are because I was right there, and I saw him, and I believed him. And so, listen, the, any prophetic word, it doesn't come from man. There are a lot of people who are going to come here and tell you that they are a prophet. But it does not come from man. It comes from God. So the question for us is how do I know what it says? How do I know if it's true or not? How does it align with what the word says? That's where I go back to. And he says believe what I'm telling you. There are false teachers out there who are going to try to trap you. So that's what he starts off in in, uh, chapter 1 saying. And listen to what he says in chapter 2. But false prophets And so what he's saying is the number one thing is false prophets are nothing new. They've been in the Old Testament. One of the things that we'll do in the next coming weeks is we'll learn more about one in particular in the Old Testament. But he's like, they're nothing new. What you're seeing has been happening since the beginning. And in fact, it happened in the very, very beginning. Why? Because what did Satan say to Adam and Eve? Did God really say that? He just doesn't want you to be like him. And so what he does, he takes what God says and he twists it ever so slightly just to point you away from what the truth says. That's how it works. And so you see it in the very beginning in the garden. You're seeing it in the nation of Israel. And in fact... After this, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the same thing because what he's doing is he's writing his letters to the churches that he started and that he's visiting. He's trying to tell them, watch out for the evildoers. Watch out what they do because they take and they pervert the word of God. And so Peter is writing this letter. He's in the midst of the same sort of thing. And so number one is this is nothing new. Number two, there's going to be false teachers among you. It happened to them. It's happening right now as he's writing this. And it's going to happen in the future too, which we still see today. And what are they going to do? Well, he says this. They're going to secretly bring in destructive heresies. Secret means they're going to be deceptive. It's going to be deceptive in nature. What they do is they deny the master who bought them. They profess to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But they deny him and his power in the resurrection. They deny his divinity. And so they profess to have faith. They look like they're doing the right thing and saying the right things, but they're not. Watch out for them because they are deceptive. They dishonor Christ's name. He's saying, watch out. They take the truth and they twist it slightly. But you can't recognize it unless you are in the word. It's one of the things that the C.S. Lewis is saying In his book, The Screwtape Letters. What he's saying is the senior devil is talking to the junior devil. and What he's saying to him is stop trying to get them to commit egregious sins. All you need to do is take the truth and just twist it slightly and they'll fall for it. And it's exactly what you see. It's exactly what we see today. Anybody ever hear of uh, a guy named Pastor Rob Bell? Right? He had a book called Love Wins. And in essence, this is what it says, it suggests... That the redemptive work of Jesus may be universal. Meaning that as his book subtitle puts it, every person who ever lived could have a place in heaven, whatever that turns out to be. It's a small twist on the truth which says, is that I don't need to profess my faith in Christ. What if if it is what Jesus did on the cross just applied to everybody? That's what he's saying. Take the truth and you twist it just a little bit. And one of the things that you'll see with some pastors in particular is sometimes coming up and just preaching the gospel and preaching what it says. is like, all right, everybody's doing that. I need to find some newfangled way of looking at that truth right there. And what they'll do is they'll try to give you a brand new take on a particular piece of scripture. Right? Because I want to be different. I want to be known for, for seeing something that nobody else saw. And that temptation is there and that temptation is real. It's exactly what he's done right here. It's exactly what he's done right there. And so what he's saying is that you secretly bring in destructive heresies. They'll deny the master who bought them. They follow sensualities, right? Right? And they do so by blaspheming the way of the truth. What does sensuality mean? It is engaging in sexual morality. And when they do that, they give Jesus a bad name. How many people do you know have been associated with clergy involved in sexual sin and they've been turned off to the church? Right? It's exactly what happens. Following sensualities following sensualities, appealing to sensualities, promoting themselves in greed. There's nothing wrong with making a living off of going and preaching the word and teaching the word, but what they're doing is they're trying to get paid off of doing this. They want to get paid off of this. They want to do it for wealth, and they want to do it for financial gain. What they're doing is they're presenting a gospel with self-gratification at the core. It's about them. It's about worshiping them. And this is what Peter is trying to warn against. And so the first thing he's saying is you've got to recognize a false prophet. Because what it is, it's simple deviations from Scripture. Anybody ever watch TBN? All right, Ezra. Ezra and I watch TBN. Why? Because we don't have cable, right? It's the only channel that comes in when you're, right, when you're turning with the little, remember the old bunny ears and stuff like that, Right? I'm showing my age, right? Well, I used to sit there and watch it. And so at a certain time in my life when I was doing the whole acting thing, right, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to find jobs. I wanted to make money. I wanted people to, to know me. And so I was very attracted to preachers that were teaching how God, you know, has a plan for you and what he wants to do and where he wants to take you in your life, right? And I was like, man, preach. You know, and some of them will be on TV saying, man, if you just sow a seed of $500, man, the, the Lord will bless you abundantly. And you're like, yes, right? And I was too cheap to do it, so I would never follow it. But there are people out there who think that. And a lot of it was prosperity gospel. It sounded really, really good. And when you listen to them, they're trying to quote scripture. But it's very easy to fall prey to that deception. Right? There is also a story in the news right now of a pastor of a church, and what he's doing is he's going over to Uganda and Africa, and people who are struggling with like HIV and AIDS, he's giving them a miracle cure, a miracle drink, which is basically industrial cleaner, bleach. And they're drinking it, and he's saying this will cure them. Right? People are easily deceived when they want a cure. They're preying on people. And so Peter is saying, you have to watch out. They're there. They are roaring around like lions looking for prey. You know what? We do the same exact thing when you hear somebody say, well, I believe some parts of Scripture, but there's other parts of Scripture that I, I don't think are right. It's picking and choosing, right? It's picking and choosing. And so, I mean, that's one of the things that Jesus was frustrated with the Pharisees. He got so frustrated because they would take something like the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created as a rest for us. We needed rest. God knew that we were finite beings. We needed to have rest. So he created the Sabbath so we would take the day off. And what they did was they got angry at Jesus because he was healing people, which was for their benefit, on a day that was created for their benefit. And they were getting angry at him. Right? And Jesus was saying, so when he's on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard it said. What he was saying is, this is what they've been telling you. Let me tell you what the truth is. This is what Jesus is doing. So this is nothing new. This is absolutely nothing new. And so the question we have is, well, then how do I know if something is true or not? How do I know what's true or not? And what he's saying is you have to align yourself with the knowledge of the word. I'm telling you right now, if you are not in Scripture at all, you are leaving yourself prey to fall for this because you are not looking and seeing what is Scripture saying. That's what Peter is trying to say. They are out there and they are preying on people. You know what the Royal Canadian Police do? When they look for fake and counterfeit, they study... Canadian money really, really well. They don't go out and study all different types of money. They know Canadian money extremely well so that when they see a fake, they can spot it right away. And so that's my question to you is do you know scripture? Are you in Scriptures so that when you see something that's fake, there's alarms that go off inside of you saying something's not right about this right here. I may not understand it completely, but there's not something right about what I'm, re- what I'm reading and what I'm seeing right now with this person is saying. False teachers, they're false in the things they say, and you look at their lifestyle and the fruit that they bear, and it's false in that too. And so you have to be in Scripture. When you're in a car, and you're at a stoplight, and you look, and the car next to you is moving slowly, what is the first thing you do? Right? Because you're like, am I moving or are they moving? Right? Right? By hitting the break, I have to ground myself in something to, underst- to reorient myself. What Peter is saying is that scripture, you have to ground yourself in scripture so that you can continually reorient yourself, especially in an age where people will keep trying to say confusing things and, and misclassify the truth. You have to be in scripture and that's what he's saying right there. Because what he's saying is what is gonna happen to them? They're going to be condemned. Why, because God takes his word Absolutely, seriously. And it's a good thing because people's salvation, their eternal salvation is at stake in the truth of who Jesus is. Look what he says in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Solomon and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and he heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creates creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant. Will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Man, Peter is saying a mouthful right there, right? But what in essence he's saying is, understand this. Can you, and you've got to sort of understand the context of which Peter is saying. Peter is writing to an audience who is dealing with this right now. And Peter is saying is, there's going to be something that's going to happen to them. Right? Because God did not even spare the angels who sinned. And he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness and to judgment. And so what do you think he's going to do with these false teachers right here? These are people who are struggling in the midst of these false teachers and what they're doing right there. And so he's telling them what's going to happen. He says, if he judged the evil angels, then he's also going to judge the ungodly. Be sure that he's going to do that because he knows how to rescue the godly from trials. And so when he talks about Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah, when you see that in the the next couple weeks, we're actually going to dig a little deeper into each of those different situations and what he's trying to say of these false teachers who are trying to infiltrate the church and break the church apart. God has something special waiting for them. Absolutely. Know that he will do it because he didn't even withhold it from the angels who turned away. He will absolutely do it. And then he goes on a little deeper and he says, look, These people, they're bold and they're ignorant. Why? Because they'll go and they'll blaspheme the evil one. The angels, the righteous angels, don't even blaspheme Satan. But these righteous teachers or these false teachers, they'll go and they'll begin to blaspheme the the evil one, showing how ignorant they are. They act like irrational animals. They act like animals because they do everything by the flesh. They blaspheme about matters in which they're ignorant. They revel in the daytime. They do it bold and open in the daylight. They revel in deceptions while feasting on you. They have eyes for adultery. They're insatiable for sin. They're all about fulfilling fleshly pleasures. They entice unsteady souls. Why? Because they're not in scripture and they're easily enticed. They look for those who are easy prey. They have hearts that are trained in greed because they're all about making money and getting money. They forsake the right way. Can you get a sense of Peter's frustration? Can you get a sense of his anger? Can you get a sense of the seriousness of what he's dealing with right here? I'm telling you, you will hear their sweet words and it will sound really good. And it won't sound that far off. This is what they're doing right there. That's the second thing he's saying is God will judge the wicked and deliver those who are righteous. He didn't spare the angels that turned away. And he won't spare these people who are going and perverting his word. It did. It started in the beginning. There's nothing different. You know, when Jesus came, the Holy Spirit led him out into the desert. And he was there for 40 days. and He was fasting for 40 days, right? I told the first group, I'm like, man, I fast for like lunch and I'm already dying by like one, right? I've like spent an hour and my stomach is like rumbling. And so I can't imagine 40 days. And so that's when Satan was like, now's the time to act. And he goes to Jesus and he's like, he knows he's hungry. And what he says to him is, hey, you're hungry. Do what you want to do. Just take that stone and turn it into bread. You can do it. And how does Jesus respond? Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he says, okay, let's try it over here. Hey, if you jump off this temple, his angels will save you. And he's like, no, I don't put the Lord to the test. I don't put my God, my father to the test by doing that. All right, well, how about this? How about we go on top of this cliff? Man, if you bow down to me, I will give you everything in this world. And Jesus says, no, you are to serve your Lord and the Lord God alone. Every time Satan is trying to tempt him with something, Jesus comes back with what? The truth. He's trying to take the truth and twist it just a little. And he's like, no, that's not what it says. Let me tell you what it says. Why? Because where was Jesus trying to go? To the cross. And what was Satan trying to get him to do? To avoid going to the cross. Jesus came to die for our sins. Christ came for the forgiveness of our sins. And Satan was trying to keep him from going there because he knew He knew what it meant. He was trying to twist the truth. Twist the truth to appeal to the sensual desires and the flesh. And that's why we so easily fall for this. And so what does that mean for us? Well, because Christ died and rose again, and when you receive the free gift of salvation, Christ now lives in me. And the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit in me now points to Scripture. And so I'm not called to try to live this on my own and figure this out on my own. I have the Spirit in me setting off the flag, setting off the, red, you know, the, the alarm, saying something is not right right here. This is not aligned with what the Scripture says because the Holy Spirit points to Christ. Listen to Jesus' own words right here. In Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. The first thing Peter says, recognize a false teacher. Recognize a false teacher. And when you hear the word, You abide in Jesus and allow his word to abide in you. So when someone comes to you and say, man, you're hungry, just do what you want to do. You can say, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And someone says to you, okay, well, you know what? God would probably want you to do this. You should do this. You should say, I do not put my Lord God to the test. And when someone says to you, look, if you just worship me, I'll give you everything. Just come and worship me. You can say, I'm called to worship God and God alone. You can respond with truth because you know the truth and you are in the word. Recognize a false teacher. And last is God will judge the wicked and he will deliver the righteous. The righteous are those that have given their lives to Christ and have received the free gift of salvation. The wicked are those who appear to be righteous, but they're deceptive and their fruit will show it. You see that lift driver? She thought she was God. And she wanted to live a life in which she was God. And she wanted to live a life that she was not going to show mercy to anybody else. But you know what? It's only the true God who shows true mercy, keeping in line with the true knowledge of himself and his son Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross. God takes this Absolutely, seriously. Why? Because eternal lives are at stake. Pray with me. Father, help us, Lord. Help us to recognize these wolves in sheep's clothing. Lord, give us a desire to know your word, to be in your word, even if it's a small step. And just every morning, I'm just... Even something as simple as looking at the verse of the day on the Bible app, Lord. I'm starting to get into your word. Help us to take the step of being in a discipling relationship where somebody can teach me these things, Lord. So that I'm not leaving myself to pray to all of these things that are out there. Lord, we thank you for sounding the alarm through Peter and telling us to watch out for these things, Lord. We know that there's many out there who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but they just need to be reminded about the importance of being in Scripture and aligning our knowledge with the true knowledge of God. Lord, there are many people out there today who, who just don't know you as a Lord and Savior and don't know what the true knowledge of you is through your Son and what He did on the cross. He didn't come to be a great prophet. He didn't come how to teach us how to live a good life. He came to tell us that we were separated by our sin. And he came to take that sin away from us, Lord. And so for many of you here today who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to just lead you in a prayer right now where you can know absolutely for sure. And you can just pray to yourself right now and just say, dear God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I've lived my whole life apart from you. I believe that Jesus died and rose again to forgive me of my sins. And I thank you so much for your salvation. With all eyes closed and heads bowed, if you just raise your hand. Thank you. Father, we just pray, help us to leave here today as those who are just lights shining in this world in which there are so many different views and world views and just thoughts, Lord. Help us to stay firm and stand in the true knowledge of who Jesus is, Lord. So we would have unity in the faith in the body of Christ and that we could point people to the true, true hope which comes through Jesus' death and resurrection. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we lift this up in your name, Jesus. Amen.